Everybody, it's uh, Brian Nemhauser, Hawkblogger, uh, Hawkblogger.com at Hawkblogger on Twitter, and this is the Hawkblogger podcast. We are counting down the days until the Seahawks are back at training camp, and folks, we're 24 hours, a little bit more than that, depends on when you're listening to this podcast, but we are a day away from the day when the boys pull on the uniforms. Hopefully all of them pull on the uniforms and start playing football. And so far, uh, we've counted down and talked about uh, defensive tackles, defensive ends. We've talked about linebackers. We've talked about fullbacks and running backs. We've talked about interior linemen, your guards, your centers. We've talked about uh, wide receivers. What we have not talked about yet, and what we'll talk about today, is probably the most, arguably, the most famous part of this Seahawks team, the Legion of Boom. And uh, as I called them, I referred to them yesterday, the Legionnaires, the want-to-bees, the almost-theirs. We've got some interesting battles and some interesting faces and some interesting questions that will soon be answered about this group. And we will start by, I think, talking about the safeties. News came out yesterday about Cam Chancellor potentially wanting to have his deal redone. Ian Rappaport was reporting that. It was the talk of the day. A lot of hand-wringing ensued. And for me, it's a lot to do about nothing um, because I look at it and see Cam Chancellor as a guy that signed his deal in 2013. Some of you had asked me, didn't he just sign his deal last year? Actually, no, he signed his deal in 2013. He was the first of that core to really re-sign and, and get extended. It was a intentional thing. The coaches talked about it. The front office talked about it. They wanted to reward him, and you know, Marshawn was another guy that was kind of in that category. I think he was a 2012 guy, but in any sense, in any case, uh, he's in the second year um, since he's re-signed. And granted, this is the second year technically of his extension, I believe. Um, and so, yeah, he probably wants more money. I think that uh, at its core. Part of what's going on is just looking at his guarantees and what's what's kind of uh, what the Seahawks are set up to do if, for example, he is injured and can't play uh, next year. Really, uh, he's he gets to the point where this year he has a base salary of four and a half million with a one million dollar. Prorated bonus, his total cap numbers, $5.6 million. And if they were to cut him this year, they would actually lose cap space 
and he would count there'd be seven and a half million dollars of dead money. So clearly, no surprise there. Not really planning to cut Cam Chancellor this year. Next year, and this is the way you have to understand this from a player's perspective. I'll get into this in a second. Next year, he'll be making five point one million. His total cap number with the prorated signing bonus is six point one million. If he were cut, there would be a four point one million dollar cap savings. And if he and again, if he was cut, there'd be only two million dollars of dead money on the cap. And so once the cap savings starts to eclipse the dead money, then players become vulnerable. It becomes more of a question, at least, for the front office of is this guy still worth having on the team? Is he worth the cap space that he is currently occupying? And I think we all know Cam Chancellor is, of course, going to be worth that next year. From a player perspective, I think they look at these things and say, well, if I have a really bad year, if I were, if this knee injury I've got gets bad and I just don't look like the same player, is there a chance if one of these other young players comes on really strong and looks fantastic and I look like I am not the same player anymore, could I be cut? And so at a minimum, I think what you're looking at from a guy like Cam Chancellor is, a desire to see the team committed to him beyond this year. He feels like he is a core part of this team. He is seeing other players being signed for longer deals uh, with more guaranteed money. He knows the cap has gone up and will continue to go up, and he wants his peace. So people can get upset about it. People can get frustrated. Cam is 27 years old. He certainly has had his fair share of injuries. But he's also an all-pro level player. He is a tempo setter. He is a leader. He is a massive difference maker. And it is very hard to see any scenario in which the Seahawks would not keep him on the team next year, even if he had a terrible year this year. So what this comes down to for me is... There's some sort of precedent that the front office certainly does not want to set. They they already had a holdout with Marshawn Lynch last year. They don't want to see that happen again. They also don't want to have people lining up at their doors asking for renegotiations every five minutes. Reality is that's going to happen to some degree, and there's only so much they can do about that. I think what they can do about those things is, one stick to their guns, make it clear that there will not be negotiation and make that a stance that agents and players understand. That should essentially be the public face and maybe even the private face. But I also think there's the potential for them in these situations to get out ahead of things a little bit. I think that it would be wise for them to think about doing things like guaranteeing cam some more money ahead of cam getting upset now that sounds like he that people have to read minds i don't think it's that difficult i think you can look at the contracts just the way players look at their contracts and anticipate which of your core players may be getting a little antsy and see if there's things you can do outside of the limelight outside of the the, the press to potentially maneuver things 
Now, the challenge there is players talk, agents talk, and so one way or another, that probably ends up leaking out in the press. So that's why I start with, I think you really just need to hold, to, you know, stick to your guns, deal with players with respect, talk to them with respect, and work through your priorities. And there's some news today that, that potentially this is something the Seahawks want to consider, but it's not a priority. It's not something they're going to address right away. They've got other things that are far more important, and that's where they're going to put their focus. So I don't think anyone could argue with that either. Net-net, if Cam Chancellor does not show up for the first few days of practice or the first week of practice, honestly, that just gives other younger players an opportunity to step forward, to get more snaps, for the Seahawks to learn more about those players. It's not going to make a lick of difference about whether Cam Chancellor's ready for the season or whether he's good enough or all those things. It might even be good for him. You never know. But I'm not going to fret if Cam Chancellor's not there day one. It'll be disappointing because it's great to see him out there. But it's also not going to be the end of the world. Now, as far as fines go, you should know that he will be fined every day he's, he's absent from camp. And the fines can get pretty hefty. This happened with Marshawn Lynch last year. And part of what eventually gets them into camp is an agreement to waive that fine. So it's a little bit of a silly situation where there's these accruing fines. And then it gets to the point where the team says, just come in, you know, let's, we'll save you some face and you will not have to pay the fine. So you just had a little paid vacation. Hope you enjoyed that. So I, I think, end of the day, this will all be fine. I would not worry about it. Cam Chancellor, the biggest question for me, Cam Chancellor is always about durability and health. The guy is a monster. He is a unique specimen at the safety position. There are not many, if any, like him. And we won't get to see this for that much longer. Maybe three years that he's able to play at this level. It could just be a couple more seasons, folks. So, Enjoy it while it's happening. Love every minute of it. And don't worry if he takes a little bit of a break during during training camp. Let's look at some of the players, though, that might step in if Cam were to step out for a little bit. One of them, somewhat ironically and, and fittingly, is a half-brother of Cam Chancellor. His name's Keenan Lambert. He is an undrafted free agent. He is six foot one, two hundred and fifteen pounds, twenty-three years old, out of Norfolk State, and has played reasonably well in the rookie mini camps and in OTAs, and has a little bit of an in, obviously, with the Legion, because he knows Cam and and Cam knows him. And so there's been a couple mentions of him by players like Richard Sherman and others, and we will see if that is deserved or if that's just nepotism at work. But he is physically gifted and an interesting prospect, so we'll, we'll see what he has to offer. Another player um, of interest there is Ronald Martin. He's six foot two, 220 pounds. Uh, another rookie, 22 years old, out of LSU. Big guy, moves well, uh, run-stuffing kind of uh, hitter. Going to be curious to see who is where on the depth chart. Um, my money is Keenan Lambert is is kind of the the so and so 
quote unquote backup to Cam Chancellor uh, out of the gates. But it's really wide open. You've got Keenan Lambert, you've got Ronald Martin, and you've got Ryan Murphy, who is uh, a draft pick actually out of Oregon State. He's six foot three, two hundred fourteen pounds, twenty two years old, and did not get to participate in rookie minicamp or OTAs, I believe, because he was uh, had not yet graduated from Oregon State, and there's rules about that um, for the NFL. So Oregon State had a late graduation. So the team will kind of be getting its first look at their draft pick in this position, and he is the same height as Can Chancellor. The other two are a little bit shorter. So they'll that'll be an interesting group to look at. Uh, it's also worth understanding that um, there's some players that are listed at free safety that could step in and be essentially uh, second safety, I guess you would call it. So most teams in the NFL moved to, it used to be always that there was a free safety and a strong safety and they had roles. You know, Eugene Robinson is a classic free safety and Kenny Easley is the classic strong safety or Ronnie Lott who actually ended up playing both in his career. But, you know, the strong safety was the big bopper and the guy that played close to the line and, and supported the run. And the free safety was the guy that could cover and, and cross, you know, cross the field and, and pick off a few passes. And the NFL at some point got away from that and really went to a two cover safety rotation in general. A lot of the defenses went to two coverage safeties and got away from the big bopper safeties. The Seahawks have set the trend like they have in so many other ways by bringing that back. They drafted both Cam Chancellor and Earl Thomas in that 2010 draft and formed one of the best safety tandems in the history of the NFL. And now there's other people that are interested in, in doing that. And I could go on about that, but but really the, the point I'm trying to make here is the assumption is, oh, when Cam Chancellor goes out, we need a Cam Chancellor clone to step in. Not true. You can go to a two safety, two cover safety kind of look um, and the way the Seahawks may look at it is putting players back there that are uh, physical and can play the safety position and know how to fit within the scheme, but not necessarily play the game the way Cam Chancellor does. The same way that our free safety is Earl Thomas, and we'll talk about that in a second, but when Earl's not in, they're not going to put someone else there that really can play the way Earl can play because guess what? Nobody else can play the way Earl Thomas plays. So all the single high safety looks that the Seahawks run where Earl Thomas is playing center field in the middle of the field covering the entire field is because he is an unreal athlete with unreal speed, unreal anticipation, off the charts preparation. He's... He's Earl Thomas. He's first team all pro. There are not many like him. So when he's gone um, from the lineup, you don't look for another Earl Thomas. I mean, you're always looking for that. But what you do is you put in your best safeties. You put your best players in, and then you figure out a way to make them succeed. So we could very well be in a situation when camp opens that both of the Seahawks starting safeties are not in camp. Earl Thomas very likely will be in camp. I doubt he will be on the practice field. I think that they will save him all the way up until toward the end of camp with the hope that he is ready to play for the start of the season. But there is a chance, 
And this is a season-defining potential chance that he starts the year on PUP. Earl Thomas starts the year on POP, PUP, physically unable to... Uh, let's do that again. If, if Earl Thomas starts the season on the physically unable to perform list, all bets are off for the way the Seahawks season will go. He is that important. Six games without Earl Thomas is uncharted territory for the Seahawks. He has played in every single game, every one, since he came out of college. We have not seen what this defense looks like without him. We do not want to see what this defense looks like without him. So let's hope that turns out well. But even in the best case scenario, he will not be suiting up day one. That does not seem realistic. So I think you're going to see a situation where, okay, Dion Bailey, very interesting player was a rookie free agent last year out of USC, six feet tall, 211 pounds. He's now 23 years old. He was playing very well. Instinctual player, plays physically, has some coverage skills. I think he is a he is a tweener. He can be a strong safety, so he's a guy that could play kind of either role. In fact, I was surprised to see him listed as a free safety. I kind of think of him more as a strong safety. He may be above any of those other players I mentioned, the Ronald Martins and the Keenan Lamberts and the Ryan Murphys, in terms of safety depth, even though he's not technically listed as a strong safety. The other guys that they have listed at free safety are Stephen Terrell, who is 5'10", 197 pounds, 24 years old, still very young, out of Texas A&M. He actually got some play last year. He's obviously someone they're interested in and trying to develop. I need to see him a little bit more to give you a better read on what I think his real potential is. Nothing I saw from him really stood out. So uh, that just means I need, and that didn't stand out good in a good way or in a, in a bad way. So I kind of need to see more from him to, to get a better read. And then Tristan Wade, who is 5'11", 170 pounds. Wow, that is a little man to be playing free safety. He's 22 years old, and he's a rookie out of uh, Texas San Antonio. So small school, classic John Schneider kind of thing to pick out. And whenever I see a player that has a unique physical makeup, like a guy like Tristan Wade has, he is taller than Earl Thomas, but 32 pounds lighter at a minimum um, based off of these measures. It's an interesting player, very different than the other kinds of safeties the Seahawks have brought in. So they see something in him. I hope to see what they see, and we'll see how where he fits into the overall scheme. Now, those are the players they have listed at free safety, but I know very well that higher than any of those players on the safety list, higher than any of the strong safety players on that list, is a guy currently listed on the roster at cornerback. His name is Deshaun Shedd. You should know him. He's six foot two, 220 pounds. He's 27 years old. He's out of Portland State in his fourth year, and he's a guy that the team has always liked. They liked him at cornerback originally. They moved him to safety. He's played both safety spots. He's a guy that is the odds-on favorite when Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor are healthy and in the lineup. You're going to see Deshaun Shedd most likely 
take over the Jaron Johnson role of the third safety. He has the ability to cover. He has the ability to support against the run. He also has the ability to be a slot corner. He's not great as a slot corner, but he can do it. So he's he's a very valuable player in that secondary based on all those roles he can play. And that's why they brought him back. So he's a guy that will certainly be there in camp number 35. I almost, if I had money to bet, I would bet that he will be out there with the number one unit no matter what come tomorrow. And hopefully it is him standing next to Cam Chancellor. If not, it'll be him standing next to, if I had to put my money on it, I would guess Dion Bailey. That's a that's a bit of a toss. We'll see. Well, there's there's a few different options there, but that's the guy for me that is most interesting out of the rest of that group. So you could see a Deshaun Shed, Dion Bailey tandem to start your training camp session. Not exactly the two all pros that you are accustomed to. But interesting. For me, that's the best part of camp is you see the guys that you don't get to see during the season. You see guys that can make an impact, make an impression, start a career, continue a career, end a career in some cases. But uh, those are the opportunities to really see how these other players compete and what their attributes are, what's special about them. That's what you're looking for. Is there something that merits additional consideration? Is there a fit for them in certain scenarios? Are they great against the run that you can put them in in certain sub packages? Are they a great coverage player? Do they have just a nose for the football? All these are things that you can kind of pick up. And one of the great parts of training camp, there's a lot of positions you cannot adequately judge. I think it's very hard to judge interior linemen, both on defense and offense, based on the lack of pads and the lack of kind of true game play. It's hard to judge running backs. Uh, it's a little bit hard to judge linebackers, although it's a little easier than the others. But secondary play, you can get a pretty good read. I mean, I saw Richard Sherman and Brandon Browner in their first practice, their first year with the Seahawks, and knew. Wrote about it, knew those guys were special and interesting and ones to watch. I knew Walter Thurmond was our best coverage safety or coverage cornerback. There was not a lot of doubt watching him in 1v1 drills. There's no one else on the team that could stay with players 1v1 the way Walter Thurmond could. In any event, a lot you can learn. Um, going to be interesting to see how they use those safeties. Speaking of corners, let's move to the other half, the other portion of your Legion of Boom. And talk more about the corners. We talked about Deshaun Shedd. He's listed as a corner. He's really more of a safety. I would say a little bit disingenuous to list him as a corner. Um, I think 90% of his snaps will be at safety. He's more of an emergency corner. You got your starting corners. You've got Richard Sherman, still 27 years old, still first-team All-Pro, best in the game at his position. And I think if I had to bet, this is going to be the best year of Richard Sherman's career. This is the year Richard Sherman is going to challenge for Defensive Player of the Year. Calling it now, gut instinct, knowing the man, knowing the player a little bit, that is 
that is my read. I think he is set up for a special year. I think he is... He had a down year in terms of some of his flash stats last year. He did not have a bunch of interceptions. This is going to be the year, hopefully, that he gets more chances. But the thing that's going to really make that possible is a little bit out of his control. It's going to be, are there other weak spots that quarterbacks are picking on? And the first one they're going to look at is the guy opposite him. And he's a controversial addition. Kerry Williams, he's 30 years old. He's the oldest, well, tied for the oldest member of the Legion of Boom. He's been in the league. This will be his eighth year. And has had moments where he was a highly rated cornerback with the Baltimore Ravens and then signed a deal with the Philadelphia Eagles and has been a butt of many jokes. This is not a, a guy that's had a great last few years. He has spoken his mind about his distaste for his coach and the way his coach Chip Kelly ran practices and now he comes in and is expected to basically resuscitate his career. I had less concern about how he had played previous years than I did with the fact that the Seahawks used some decent chunk of cap space to bring him aboard. This is a guy that, based off of the way they structured that contract, He's going to probably be around for not just this year, but for next year. Um, even in 2016, he's due, he'll be $6.1 million against the cap, and there'd be $2.3 million of dead money and only $3.8 million of cap savings if he was cut. So it's pretty unlikely that he's going anywhere this year or next. And... I don't think he's worth that. I think few players are. Especially, let me explain that a little bit. So, when I was looking at the roster planning for the Seahawks, I always assumed Richard Sherman, Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor, those three guys, they were going to get paid. And that was going to mean that that fourth starter was going to have to be a rookie contract in perpetuity. It was going to have to be a new guy you're going to see guys like Walter Thurman leave. You're going to see guys like Byron Maxwell and Brandon Browner leave because you can't pay everybody top dollar in the secondary if you want to have the rest of your defense have quality as well. And so when Byron Maxwell left, it was no surprise to me. I expected that. I was actually more surprised that the Seahawks acted like they wanted to sign him again because if they'd given him anywhere close to the amount of money he got, I would be shocked. But clearly the Seahawks and John Schneider felt like they needed to bring in a more known quantity opposite Richard Sherman, and they thought it was important enough to put real money behind it. I mean, they put more money behind that than interior defensive lineman or an offensive lineman or you know wide receiver or any other positions really that they could have gone after. And I thought that was a curious choice. 
Now, that's all separate from whether Kerry Williams can come in and actually be a good corner. I have a lot of trust in Chris Richard. I have a lot of trust in Pete Carroll, their ability to develop cornerback talent. And Kerry Williams is a veteran. As long as he's willing to learn, and I'm assuming that's what they vetted when they talked to him as a free agent, then he has a potential to, to be, you know, this could be his best year in the NFL. I, I would not be shocked at all if that happened. And as much as I liked Byron Maxwell, I've always thought Byron Maxwell was a good corner. I never thought he was great. And Brandon Browner, I love Brandon Browner. I would have personally given the choice. Brandon Browner's cheaper than Kerry Williams. I would have rather had Brandon Browner back. That's for sure. Um, but since that didn't happen, you got Kerry Williams. If he turns out to be the player that, that you need him to be, which is a good one, doesn't have to be great, but be good, then that'll force people to, to test Richard Sherman, and I think he's going to be ready for that this year. The curious thing is what does that say what does the signing of Kerry Williams say about John Schneider and Pete Carroll's perception of their other cornerbacks? We know Jeremy Lane essentially is, you know, their next corner for, for all intents and purposes, but has two serious injuries, both uh, an ankle and a elbow, or I can't even remember. He's, he's got a knee. <laughs> I don't know. He's got some serious... Some serious stuff going on. So he's not he's not going to play until midseason, probably at the earliest. Would not shock me if he's on the injured reserve or something that comes out at the 10th or 12th game or whatever it is. So that's one guy that's out of the mix, and so you need to recover from that. And then, then you've got Therald Simon. His injury situation is a little more squishy. This is going to be his third year. Hard to believe. His first year, remember, as a rookie, he was injured the whole year. So he never really played. Second year was last year. And he had some really great moments. Some of the Seahawks' best defensive performances were with him in the lineup and Byron Maxwell not there. So he has played good cornerback. He's six foot three. He is 202 pounds. He's 24. He's got all sorts of talent. He was a disaster in the Super Bowl. Disaster. And he's got a lot to learn. You know, he seems incredibly immature with some of the choices he made on the field. Also some of the choices he made off the field coming into the draft, which is how the Seahawks were able to to get him in the first place. So he supposedly has an injury situation. We will see if he is back on the field when he's on the field and how they utilize him. But this is a guy that if he's healthy and if he's right, and if his head's in the right place, there's every reason to think he could push Kerry Williams. The problem is, you know, in a normal year, if, if they'd signed Kerry Williams to the kind of veteran contract that I'm accustomed to, I would have thought, all right, he might not even make the team, like the Antoine Winfield situation. But the team would actually lose cap space if they cut him. He's He was $7 million of dead money if they cut him. So... Gary Williams is going to be on this team. Um, that kind of is going to challenge how they handle things with Therald Simon. 
maybe it just means they really just don't see that as a possibility. He's just not anywhere close to being ready for that. We'll see. I mean, most of the Seahawks corners that make it, make it pretty early. They've been able to develop their guys early on. Um, and Therald Simon showed some real promise last year. So if he's healthy, I think he can be a real comer um, on the cornerback group. I think that another one that's going to be interesting to watch is number 22, Ty Smith. He's a rookie draft pick, six feet tall, so on the shorter side for the Legion. And 195 pounds. He's 22, a rookie out of Townsend. And this is a guy that has a lot of buzz about him. You know, he's raw, but people feel like this could be the next small school find that they have. It's not totally clear whether he's going to play inside or out. Pete Carroll's mentioned that basically he's going to play out, but um, a lot of draft folks had him as a slot corner. So we'll kind of see where they play him. And then there's the other slot corners, Marcus Burley, who's 5'11", 185 pounds. He's 25 years old. And this is, it says that he's a rookie. Pretty sure he's not a rookie anymore, but he was, he was good last year. He's on the shorter side. It's not what they prefer, but Clearly a competitor, great supporter against the run, good tackler, uh, made a couple plays last year, had an interception against Carolina in Carolina. Player I like, and I'd like to see them continue to develop. But they made some moves that make you question whether they see him as a, as a guy they really want to bring around long term. Because they also signed another veteran, Will Blackman. Will Blackman, six feet tall. He's 204 pounds. He's 30. And Blackman, he signed a veteran contract. You know, he's due to make $870,000 this year. He got an $80,000 signing bonus. And if they cut him, they'll save $600,000 in cap room and only have $80,000 in dead money. So Will Blackman's he's got to earn his spot on this team. If Marcus Burley shows out, if Ty Smith shows out, if maybe they're thinking that way. Maybe if Therald Simon shows out, maybe Kerry Williams slides inside, although I just can't see Kerry Williams as a slot corner. But maybe Blackman is the odd man out and, and the guy that has a hard time making this roster. We'll have to see. But you've got an interesting cornerback group, as always, with the Seahawks. You've got an interesting safety group. You've got... All sorts of questions around health. Most of the questions are going to be around depth chart, as with every other position, and with how these guys gel. Who takes advantage of their opportunity? Who shows out in practice? Who gets the chances in the games? And who makes the plays? So going to be fun to watch these guys. Going to be interesting to watch who's there. And when I come back, Tomorrow, it will be time for the final Camp Countdown podcast where I will cover quarterbacks, the guys that block for them and offensive tackles, and the newest, potentially most exciting addition to the team, Jimmy Graham and the tight ends. Until then, go Hawks. Have a great day, and thanks for listening.